Thank you again for listening to our podcast today. Thank you so much for your support. We worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. here at St. John's Lutheran Church in the heart of downtown Martinsburg, West Virginia. Know that you're always welcome to our table and to our worship. God bless. And we hope you enjoy today's message. Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 17th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. The Lord replied, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you could stay to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Who among you would say to your slave who has just come in from plowing or tending sheep, in the field, come here at once and take your place at the table? You'd rather, say to, rather not say to him, prepare supper for me, put on your apron and serve me while I eat and drink. Later you may eat and drink. Do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you are ordered to do, say, we are worthless slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. You all may be seated. Invite your children up. So what makes someone a good disciple? Who is your ideal disciple? What would you put on a job description of a, for a good disciple? Would you say it has to be holier than now, faithful in all things, someone who prays every day, does acts of charity, tithes their income, becomes a pastor, a choir director, an organist, or a church secretary? I, I, I find it really funny when people say that my prayers get to God faster than anybody else's because I'm a pastor. Uh, um, I'm here to tell you that that just isn't the case. Some days I really feel like my job is that of Job in the wilderness. People who dedicate themselves to serving God through the church are not more faithful than any person sitting in the pew. Many of us think of faith as something that is tangible, that's quantifiable or even magical. Our Lord's words make it sound like faith is that of a cheap parlor trick. If you just have the right amount of faith, you can, you can tell trees to go plant themselves in the ocean, to move on your command. If you just do it right, if you just say the right words, if you just say the magical potion, it'll all be, you can do it. And many of us go through life believing this to be the case about faith. Then all of a sudden, the unthinkable happens and no mountains, no trees are movable. And good-meaning Christians will often come up to others who find themselves suffering and say, keep, you got to keep the faith. You just got to have more faith to get through this. And that is all well and good to say when your world has not been shaken. But how many times have you been sitting in a pile of grief and despair, and instead of someone coming and sitting next to you in that pile, they stand over you, they stand over top of you and ask, where is your faith? And they use passages like this one as their justification. How many of you have ever been in those situations? I've been in many. The problem with this text is that we are reading this completely out of its own context. On its own, it's a valid conclusion to simply believe that Jesus is making faith out to be this tangible thing. And we need to just work really, really, really hard at it. And things will go your way. But in the larger context of this verse, of this passage, we see that Jesus is not talking about faith as a tangible thing. But is answering the request of his disciples to increase their faith. And that's a strange request to ask, right? 
And when I think about those moments when I've asked Jesus, Dear Lord, please increase my faith, there's always been a reason why. I normally ask this request when I'm tasked with doing something that's impossible. At least that I perceive as impossible. And that's what's happening here in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 17. Jesus tells the disciples to forgive not just seven times, but 77 times. Or if you're on on an elementary school playground, it's infinity times infinity. That type of language. Forgiveness is something, is sometimes an impossible task on our own. And Jesus wants us to forgive someone infinity times infinity. Jesus' response suggests that the apostles' request is misguided. He pivots from the question of quantity to the question of sufficiency. Faith the size of a mustard seed is sufficient for even the most demanding task of discipleship. The mustard seed is the perfect metaphor for small beginnings leading to big results. But again, the point of Jesus' metaphor is not to quantify faith as much as to affirm its power. God works through a modicum of faith to empower us to forgive even the most annoyingly repentant sinners. And how I wish Jesus would have ended it right there. How I wish he would have just stopped talking Because it would have made this sermon go a lot easier. He goes on to tell another parable. A a strange parable for us 21st century ears. A parable about slaves and slavery. And as we talked about on Thursday night in Table Talk, slavery in the Bible is, is a little different than the slavery in America. With the only similarity being they are both horrible, horrible things humans did to other human beings. Nonetheless, Jesus still said this parable, so it bears some thought from us today. The pitfall with this parable is the implied association between discipleship and thankless drudgery. I mean, do we have to paint discipleship in such a dismal way? Are obedient disciples really just worthless slaves? I mean, it's hard enough to get people to come to church. Now we're telling, we're not really selling discipleship all that well, right? I wish Jesus could have said it a little bit better. So there's three observations that I want to talk about that help alleviate the gloomy tenor of this metaphor. First, it makes more sense to translate the, um, the phrase as unworthy slaves. This, this shifts the point of verse 10 from the seemingly denigration of discipleship to the nature of discipleship itself. Obedience to Jesus is not in and of itself something to be rewarded But rather, the rewards of discipleship are far more vast. Discipleship means we have fellowship with God and neighbor. There's more to discipleship than just blind obedience. And second, we should keep in mind that Scripture frequently connects obedience with joy. Especially when we conceive of an obedience as entering more deeply into the fellowship of God. It's not hard to see how how obedience even fosters joy. In fact, Luke, in his writing, is the preeminent spokesperson for joy in the New Testament. There are numerous Lukean characters who rejoice over God's saving actions in and through the ministry of Jesus. Luke would be the last person to equate discipleship with drudgery. And finally, number three, we must bear in mind the previous verses. The apostles have asked Jesus to increase their faith. And in response, Jesus extraordinary direct, in response to Jesus' extraordinary directive about forgiveness. 
Jesus, however, assures him that even a mustard seed faith will prove sufficient. Jesus then offers a slave metaphor as a way of situating his forgiveness directive among the everyday task of discipleship. What the apostles hear as an extraordinary case of discipleship is in fact quite ordinary. Forgiving the most repetitive but repentant sinner is more extraordinary than the slave tending the sheep or preparing dinner. When all is said and done, then this passage presents faith in terms of steadfast devotion to Christ. That is, as a Christian life itself, our ongoing commitment to the practice of forgiveness is, in other words, reflection of our own faithfulness to Christ. Christian disciples forgive each other and those around them. And to be faithful to Christ means we must practice the spiritual discipline of forgiveness. So maybe, my brothers and sisters, the greatest disciples among us are not those who act holier than thou. They're not those, they're not those who have never had doubts about God. It's not those who have an active prayer life, though I do believe that is something that is very important to being a disciple. Disciples should pray every day. That the greatest disciples are not those who go out every weekend and participate in community service projects. They are not the most generous of givers. Or, and they haven't committed themselves to service a lifetime of service in the church. No, the greatest and most faithful disciples are those who forgive even the most screwed up but repentant sinners. Week after week, sin after sin. And I know I'm not perfect in this regard, my brothers and sisters. I find it hard to forgive and forget. And so my prayer and my hope is that you pray to Jesus this day. And that your prayer to Jesus this day is the same as his disciples was 2,000 years ago. Lord, increase our faith so that we might forgive.